she posted another meme, and she got cancelled. His old tweets resurfaced, so he got cancelled too. Then plot twist, some of these heroes that they tried to cancel or erase actually returned from this cultural death, and they got right back to normal. But it turns out you cannot actually cheat this death by apologizing. Except when you can, it's confusing. It's even more confusing for Christian fans who are trying to enjoy fantastic stories and the people who help make them. How can Christian fans react when fantasy creators get canceled? Behold a new Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com, in which we find the best Christian-made fantastic stories, including fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. We seek out their delights, their wonders, beauties, and truths. We apply all of these to the real world that our author, Jesus Christ, has called us to serve. And I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher at lorehaven.com. And I'm Zachary Russell. Please do not cancel me. This is episode 53. How can Christian fans react when fantasy creators get canceled? This is a huge topic. It is a scary topic. It is potentially scary. And not just because we are ourselves at risk of being canceled, aren't we all? Uh, but because we could spend a lot of time, we could spend hours, Zach and I, just ranting about how terrible these cancel mobs are and how much we really wish we could give them a taste of their own medicine and blah, blah, blah. In other words, kind of hating them as enemies. And yet, I think that all of those arguments have been done already. We're actually going to proceed in this episode, we feel, to a next level of responding to this phenomenon. We do not pretend that folks who are canceling others for wrong and immoral reasons are not enemies. They are not good folks. I think the Bible would honor that classification. Some of these folks do behave like enemies, uh, particularly to Christians or those who like stories and don't want to get involved in the politics, but we can't just stop it saying, oh, these are the bad guys. Let's rant about them on a podcast. We have to respond to them with Christ-like grace and firmness and do what scripture commands us to do. Love your enemies. It does call them enemies, but also very difficult statement says, love your enemies. Uh, I don't know. I. I am such a fan of The Walking Dead and other sort of zombie horde shows. It's it's really hard not to think of uh, cancel culture mobs like a zombie horde. So I guess I can love me some zombies if I can really try here. But uh, that's where I'm coming from. Well, I'm not going to wrap my arm around a zombie necessarily, <laughs> but I should at least have a moral quandary about uh, having the cold hearted decision of cocking my shotgun and blowing their zombie heads off. <laughs> Uh, we don't want to behave this way, at least not without a lot of internal turmoil. Uh, it shouldn't be a fun thing to go after a cancel culture mob any more than it should be a fun thing for the mob to go after someone else. Uh, we felt it was best to explore this issue after several recent news items, uh, all of which actually have affected uh, some fantasy franchises that many fans, geeks, nerds, whatever you want to call them, uh, have enjoyed. Uh, as uh, as you all no doubt heard, uh, The Mandalorian, that Disney Plus show, that awesome space opera show set in the Star Wars universe, is now lacking a famed fan favorite cast member, Gina Carano. The cancel culture mob had been going after her head for quite a while, and a few weeks ago they succeeded, and Lucasfilm announced that they were no longer working with her and had no plans to work with her. Effectively, she had been fired, not renewed for another season, uh, suspended from whatever spinoffs they would have had her in, all that stuff. 
uh, I think the day after, then it turns out uh, she she jumped ship and swam over to the uh, the burgeoning conservative uh, right wing entertainment conglomerate, the Daily Wire. So she is uh, she's not coming back uh, to Star Wars, I don't think, uh, even after any any fan pressure has kind of been averted there. I, I don't think we're going to be able to uncancel her to that extent. Uh, at the same time, uh, Joss Whedon, the creator of shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, of course, uh, Firefly, only season one, <laughs> and the director of two Avengers movies and lots of other franchises, the accusations have been mounting against him for onset abuses and very, very bad treatment of women in particular. He is being effectively canceled, and even though he was noted feminist icon, you know, feminist director Joss Whedon, and it turns out that maybe he wasn't so feminist anyway and then we also have lingering issues with lots of other uh, actors and uh, franchise makers you know fantasy creators uh, a few years ago a uh, director james gunn guardians of the galaxy and uh, of late the producer of brightburn and a lot of other franchises uh, the upcoming uh, the suicide squad movie from dc uh, he was fired for what was it zach about a year uh, from disney marvel uh, because it right. turns out he'd been making some really nasty jokes over tweets several years ago and someone went back and found those and said, hey, this you and Disney reacted and, and fired him. And there was more to that story. He has been rehired. I, I saw a headline just this morning. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will start filming this year. So he got everything back. But that story is a little bit different. And our, our main question here is how can Christian fans react when fantasy creators get canceled? And we'll have a few concessions uh, here uh, in just a moment. But uh, before that, I wanted to segue really quick into a brief sponsored segment with mainly some news about events that are coming up this month, March 2021 events. Yes, actual events, people in person, wearing masks, being cautious, all of those references in this podcast that will sound so dated, hopefully months and years from now. Are they still going to talk about masks again? Man, 2020, 2021 podcast and media were just all about the mask. It's so corny now. But at this time, it is completely expected. Turns out that uh, for the book, The Pop Culture Parent, uh, the book I helped to co-author with Ted Turneau and Dr. Jared Moore, uh, the subtitle there is Helping Kids Engage Their World for Christ. Uh, we, uh, Dr. Jared Moore and I, will actually be speaking at an actual event hosted by a Realm Makers Bookstore. Well, Realm Makers Bookstore is participating in two events, actually, two homeschool conventions that are scheduled for the final two weekends of March. Uh, the first one is uh, Teach Them Diligently, which is uh, March uh, 19th through 20th in Nashville. And the next one there, just the very next weekend, is Great Homeschool Conventions, which is hosted uh, March 25th through 27th in St. Louis. So Jared and I will each be giving separate talks about pop culture and parenting. We'll offer the five basic questions from the book uh, to help you and your kids discern and enjoy popular cultures, idols, and graces for the glory of Jesus. And we'll also talk about what is the point of popular culture in the first place. A lot of familiar material for listeners of this podcast. We actually did a series on it last fall. So if you're in Nashville or St. Louis uh, this month and, uh, and you have a, even a marginal interest in homeschooling or just want to come uh, meet uh, Dr. Jared Moore and I and uh, hang out, please feel free to check into those events and stop by. So Stephen, what do we have on display at the concession stand for this episode? Just a few freshly baked items, uh, some funnel cakes, uh, some popcorn, maybe some of those really nasty nos nacho chips. Uh, just a few of them here that I wrote down. 
the main one I already alluded to uh, to speed the discussion about how Christian fans respond to this cancel culture and fantasy fandoms. Uh, we do need to accept some views of what cancel culture is. Uh, we're not going to come out here and be agnostic or even atheistic about it. there's no such thing as cancel culture. It's a myth. No such thing, said they, until except they the themselves. Yeah. Except, yeah, and, and until they themselves are canceled. And I saw a thing this morning where someone had literally been canceled and they were still denying it exists. Like, guys, <laughs> cancel culture in some form or another has always existed. We've just got a new cutesy name for it. It can span the, the gamut from you know persecution for your beliefs to just that nasty look because you said a thing that isn't socially acceptable. That, yes, it's always been a thing. We think that in this iteration of it is generally bad, especially when it is being enforced by busybodies and gossips and malcontents who band together, combine their assumed moralities generally over social media, and then it's assumed that these people are somehow have the moral high ground. Uh, usually they do not have the moral high ground. If they presume they have it, uh, it is completely acceptable to challenge that. And I honestly, I wish more people would challenge that. What gives you the right to call for this person to be fired because they posted a meme you don't like? You have no moral authority. Your shame tactics should not work. You're obviously troubled about something. You are doing a face swap in your imagination, projecting your enemies over top of this person and you yourself as the hero in this drama you've made up in your mind. That needs to stop. There are more stories in the world than your own. You don't have the right to call for this person to be canceled if they have not done anything wrong. However, I still think that there should, should be some social standards. Uh, there are some words, some ideas that do need to be, for lack of a better term, uh, canceled in polite society. Uh, there are certain uh, names, especially slanders and evil words for people with other ethnicities or backgrounds that we should not be using without some kind of social cost. But most of the time, I, I find, especially in the social media version of this, uh, these rules lack any moral foundation. And often something that is just mildly offensive or even just neutral or even a view that should be socially acceptable as being called evil. And then someone goes out there like the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland screaming off with their heads uh, just at the drop of a hat. And that we do assume for the sake of this episode is bad. Our main question here is how do Christians respond to this, and particularly when someone has been rightfully canceled? How do we look at the stories that they've made now? I have a suspicion that people who join these cancel culture mobs are never experienced an enjoyable debate. You know, either they had a somewhat traumatic experience, like getting bullied or humiliated, or they were, they just wouldn't admit defeat to some kind of debate. You know, they were kind of a sore loser. In my own life, though, I, I can think of a lot of arguments I've lost. I, I've, been involved in like online apologetics forums and things like this where it's just a lot of debate over things and those lost arguments have made me a better person now obviously we're talking about something different with social media cancel culture but i think a lot of it goes back to this that when they whet their appetite with debate they either like it or they hate it i think a lot of it has to do with whether or not you believe that truth will win the day that that bad ideas are best replaced with good ideas or should bad people, you know, who hold bad ideas just be removed entirely from society? You know, do you like debate for discovering truth or do you, do you look at debate as a way to defeat people 
Amen. And I think a lot of people can't separate their ideas from their identity, and that's why they can't handle losing. But, uh, you know, if you think about where cancel culture ultimately leads, you know, this is the kind of stuff of the Soviet Union (laughs) that had the ultimate deplatforming machine, you know, that, that put people in literal gulags. But the fact that Alexander Solzhenitsyn became a best-selling author, that tells you the truth that, that truly the best way to defeat a bad idea is with a better idea. You know, the pen is mightier than the sword. Amen. And in this case, like I understand the concerns about bad ideas spreading and people feeling helpless about that. But I think a lot of, of this too comes down to a fundamentally bad assumption that disagreement equals hatred. Disagreement equals hatred or disagreement equals fear. That's why people will tack the, uh, the suffix phobic or phobia to something that they find disagreeable or terrible, an, an idea that just simply should not be allowed to persist. I can't go along with that. You have to recognize, you have to use that very overactive imagination to understand or at least theoretically allow for the fact that disagreement sometimes does not equal hatred. In fact, look back on your own life and you can find, even if you had a very difficult or traumatic background, you can surely find instances where disagreement was done in love. In fact, disagreement can be love. If you yourself believe that you're on the right side and you're disagreeing with that terrible person who needs to be canceled, do you believe that your disagreement is for that person's good? If not, then you need to rethink your life. You need to rethink, why am I doing this? If you're trying to be the hero, heroes are trying to save people, not just punish them. And I think also there is a lot of misdirected wrath in this. As our culture uh, moves further and further away from the distant memory of a God who is holy and has the right to judge, uh, who has an attribute of wrath, Uh, there is an ideal of hell that is punishment from God for eternity, for unrepented sin. As we move further from that ideal, you have to get that wrath somewhere. You have not simply removed wrath from your worldview. Uh, You've merely suppressed it in unrighteousness. The wrath has to go somewhere, and it may as well then go with you. If God does not exist, if an eternal righteous wrath does not exist, then let us opt for the best substitute imagination can buy. I will therefore become God. And if I feel small, there are tens of thousands of people just like me waiting to connect via imposter prayer on the social media. We will combine our wraths and together we have become God, the judge of all these people who need to be canceled. And uh, I feel like waxing more eloquent about this, but that's that that is how that is how I'm looking at it. And 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 yet it's there's only so much we can say about saying this is a problem. And here's why it's a problem. How then do Christians uh, discern good canceling? You know, the, some kind of social penalty for someone who is behaving egregiously uh, from legalistic uh, canceling. That's our actually top top three question. Let's move into that there. It's our top three questions we're going to deal with in this episode. The first one is, how do we discern necessary canceling from legalistic canceling? Two, if the cancellation was bad, if it was done for bad reasons, how do we show love to our enemies in the cancel mobs? And then finally, if the cancellation was actually necessary, 
if it was a good cancellation for someone who was genuinely abusive or nasty or breaking the law or something like that, how do we look at that person now? And what do we as Christians do with the probably really great stories that that person has helped to make? Yeah. So this first question, how do we discern necessary canceling from legalistic canceling? You know, the language I often hear with these cancel culture mobs, it's very moralistic. It's very, you know, righteous crusade kind of stuff. There's a lot of white knighting that goes on. And, you know, if you're not familiar with that term, it someone that thinks they're saving someone else. Now, I don't want to mind read people, but you sort of have to examine that. Like, does this person think they're being someone's savior? You know, and maybe they're, they're believing the, uh, the hero's journey too much about their themselves. But I, I think what it really comes down to is how do we discern is it, we have to look at who is being harmed or is there actual harm that's happening? You know, Stephen, you may have grown up with this phrase that I think a lot of us in kind of the Gen X or the, the generation that kind of straddles Gen X and, and millennials, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I heard that a lot as a kid, and I don't think it's completely true because, you know, the Bible kind of disproves that. James talks about the tongue at being capable of, of harm as well as good. And so words can hurt us, but there, I think there has to be something besides just words. Like there has to actually be behavior. There has to be actions that would necessitate someone, you know, getting righteously canceled. I, I think what people refer to with cancel culture is more of this other kind, this legalistic, I I hate to use this phrase, but puritanical canceling of just exiling someone from the community. And, you know, we, we live in a world now where you can't really be exiled, right? We're, we're so urbanized. Uh, so people digitally exile other people. And I think part of the problem is we live too much of our lives online. And so when, when you get deplatformed or whatever, it seems like your life is over, you're exiled. But I think that this kind of bad canceling is when people are sort of reading too much into the quote harm that's being done. Right. Well, there's a concept in philosophy and uh, even in now some legal jurisprudence about dignitary harm and we won't get into that. Uh, we need to do a little bit more homework in order to explore that. It would take us too far afield. I think the big issue here is that we, we've overcorrected from words will never hurt me, which is not true. And as you said, Zach, the scripture itself warns about the power, the, the great destructive power of the tongue. And James in particular is very clear that, you know, with your tongue, you can start a brush fire. You know, gossip and slander are sinful. Uh, they're not uh, not negligible sins. They are very serious sins. There are, however, more serious sins, and there's much, especially in the in the Old Testament law, about making false accusations. There are penalties uh, in the in the Old Testament law for if you falsely accuse someone and you're found out, you have to pay a very heavy price if you have tried to falsely accuse someone, especially on purpose. Uh, the overcorrection is more to the effect of sticks and stones may break my bones, but only words can hurt me. Uh, it's as if in a word-based economy, an information age, words are the only weapons. This is nonsense. Uh, and I even see some, some Christians acting as if harmful speech or you know, fake news or something like that is the worst sin that can be done. Have they forgotten, for example, about the very real harm done by those who redefine the family structure that has literally shattered generations? 
and left people without stable parent relationships and without a, a biblical or even simply traditionally moral outlook on how we interact with one another as sexual beings. Like that has been ruined far worse over generations uh, than, than mere bad words said over social media. I'm pretty firm on this point because I, especially because I, I do have a journalism background. I'm, I'm a believer in what Americans know as the First Amendment, uh, which guarantees the freedom of speech and the press and of religious practice, a religious practice in public, by the way, not merely private worship. I'm looking at you, certain Washington Post editorial published this week. <laughs> uh, freedom of religion and of speech comes with the corollary, the expectation that this is public. You're not just saying something right. in the closet where no one can hear you, even without a podcast microphone. Uh, the, the whole point of it is that this is an expected part of the public sphere. But I also believe that we ought to have some social norms. As I said earlier, uh, they may not be codified into law, but they are expected. That means in theory, if you're behaving indecently, if you're calling someone a name repeatedly without repentance, uh, if you are being racist or bigoted, actually racist and bigoted, uh, then it would be expected that these would be fireable offenses. I think that the judgment there should be made by those who are actually close to the situation without involving choirs of 10,000 who have nothing to do with it. Uh, but in a, in a better world, for example, uh, those who sexualize children would not must pay social prices. And I think even uh, legal prices, they, they need to be punished for that. No, I don't want folks who do those sorts of things to be punished forever because I'm not God. That's not my prerogative. But that does mean that they ought not to work or have public access to certain areas. I, as I thought about this, I realized this is actually kind of a secular version of the, the doctrine of church discipline, which uh, the apostles encourage in the New Testament. If someone is violating the, the holiness expectations for believers and they refuse to repent, there's a process you go through. You go to that person, you take a few others along, you take it to the elders. You know, some of this overlaps with the personal peacemaking principles and Jesus said in Matthew 18. And then if the person will not repent, even after this careful process that involves both private and then public uh, interactions, uh, then you kick them out. Doesn't mean you hate them. It doesn't mean you refuse to say hello to them on the street. Doesn't even mean you can't have dinner with that person, but they're not allowed in fellowship with the local church, which has some kind of membership structure. You cancel that person in a sense, but you are all along urging them to see their wrong and repent seriously, not without other consequences, especially if it's something illegal at the point of them repenting, you let them back. The apostle Paul was very clear about that. Uh, it's very clear expectations for what has gone wrong, what you did wrong, what you need to do to make it right, how you must repent, and then welcome back into the public professing community of faith. You are our brother. Don't do it again, but you are our brother. You see a few overlapping areas between the modern version, the secular cancel culture, uh, and, and some of these expectations for church discipline or you know, being shunned from the community of faith. Uh, shunned is the wrong word there. Uh, I don't think shunning is biblical at all. Uh, church discipline is formal and it is personal and it is biblical. Shunning can be arbitrary and uh, often is based on some manipulative tactics based on shame rather than biblical expectations. I do see though, Zach, have you heard this idea actually around, I've seen it around sometimes. Uh, some people will say almost at once, 
hey guys, there's no such thing as cancel culture. And also Christians started it. <laughs> have you seen that going around? Uh, yes. It's like, yeah. It, it's particularly Christians who maybe spend a little too much time in academia or on Twitter or both at the same time and seem to be acting as if words are the only thing that matter. It's simply a slander to say that the church started cancel culture. Uh, the church has done this, you know, the, the boycotts of Disney back in the 1990s are the same thing as uh, Disney trying to fire Gina Carano. Not true. That is simply not true. It, it seems to be another example of the blame the church back home complex. Uh, start by blaming the church because that's the main thing I'm familiar with. All that other stuff is just out there somewhere. And the main difference is this. In church discipline, and even in some dysfunctional versions of that, like shunning or cutting them out of your life or all of that, usually to a fault, the church wants the person who's being boycotted or shunned to repent. To return to fellowship. To repent. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It, it, in church discipline, it, it, you can apologize, you can repent publicly uh, to the folks at the church who, we'll just say, canceled you, disciplined you. And they will let you back. And in fact, it's caused some scandals because a few local churches will too easily let someone back. You know, that person who was abusing children. Oh, well, that was a long time ago. And they went to prison and they said they're sorry. So sure, let's put them back in charge of the youth program. Absolutely not. Uh, that person may be truly repentant, but they also need to go through the consequence of not being allowed in that position of ministry again. I think a pastor who's disqualified himself also not ought not be in public ministry. They need to serve in some other capacity. It's it's simply a disqualifying sin, I think, uh, especially if they've been abusive or something like that. And and churches have rightly suffered a lot of public uh, shaming for forgiving too easily. So that seems to be our fault. Whereas if you apologize to the mob in cancel culture in the secular domain, they still cancel you. There's no grace whatsoever, not even in theory. You can kowtow, uh, you can just go all out, you can repeat whatever the PR people told you to say. They're not going to show you grace. They are still going to cancel you. And that's the big difference between uh, you know, whatever bad examples of shunning or healthy examples of church discipline you see in Christian churches. The discipline ought to be done in grace. And then even a dysfunctional shunning, in theory, you can repent and kowtow and, you know, the, the person will let you back in. Uh, but in this case, there's biblical support for the church discipline. And there's kind of a little biblical support for the idea of, you know, boycotting, like, I'm not going to buy your product unless you stop doing this. But honestly, Zach, I'm looking back and I don't remember people calling for even like, oh, that bad, uh, that bad CEO of Disney in the 1990s. I want him fired. I want him personally fired. We're going to expose where he lives. We're going to look at his voting record. We're going to cancel him. It was more about beliefs and the policies rather than individual persons in that case. Uh, and in this case, the, uh, the secular cancelers, don't, fr they frankly don't have moral standing for what they do. Uh, I think we can call out what, what, what they do as wrong. Yeah, I think we have to be really clear about what's going on in the modern day. We're we're, we're mostly not talking about abusive harm, you know, le legitimate, you know, law breaking or something like that. We're mostly talking about offensive things. And we sort of live in this moment where like you said, uh what everyone sort of elevates above everything else are words and speech and you know, we've gone through these cycles now of words are violence. Oh, wait, you know, silence is violence. And so we kind of have to pick one there, but 
I think what really it is, is sort of this, I don't know, fascination people have with controlling the speech of other people. You know, we've sort of gone from, uh, I don't want to hear offensive things to, I don't want anyone else to be able to say offensive things. And and like you said, we're, we're talking about what people say out loud, like what people say publicly. And yeah, I think societies are always trying to control what other people do. Uh, and, and that's kind of the definition in some ways of a society, but I want to live more in a place where there's a freer exchange of ideas. And here's why not everything I believe is correct. And not everything I've, I've believed in the past was correct. You know, there were a lot of dumb things that I used to believe. And there were a lot of dumb things I used to do. I can think back on my freshman year of college where I had two very close friends say some very hard things to me. And it sort of embarrassed me uh, how they even said it. And I got really mad at those friends. I'm like, how dare you say that to me? Who are you to talk to me about this? But ultimately, I, I thank them because they were right. You know, I, I need people to challenge my beliefs and ideas. I need people to call out the stupid things I say out loud. And I've done that plenty of times. That is the key to growth. And so, you know, I, I really hate this other thing people say, Stephen, of like, well, it's not cancel culture. It's just accountability or whatever. And it's like, that is nonsense. That That's cultural appropriation from Christian <laughs> culture. We're the ones who say accountability, accountability to whom? Who's right. your pastor? Who's your care group leader? Who's your life group leader? I mean, accountability to a, a, an invisible host over social media. That's a lousy form of, of abstract, uh, of fake accountability. Yeah. So if, if people are saying, uh, offensive things on Twitter or whatever, I would hope that people would speak against that, but let's, let's keep it in the realm of speech. I think when it goes over the edge is when the punishment doesn't fit the crime, you know, cause what galls us is the disproportionate responses that a lot of this stuff is garnered. It's people being erased essentially from the public sphere or people losing their jobs. And it's really worse when it's completely undeserved. There was a story last year of this uh, utility worker in San Diego, I think, and he was at a stoplight and a guy next to him thought that he was flashing uh, some offensive sign with his fingers. Like like a white power sign, I think is what it was, and turns out the guy was just like drumming his fingers, and he wasn't even white. And but nonetheless, the tweet of this picture went viral. He lost his job, and even after they realized that it was all a hoax, he couldn't get his job back. The last I checked, anyway. And and that's even worse when when the innocent are punished without due process. And and that's another thing. I I think it kind of goes against that sense of that sense of right and wrong we've all internalized because of our system of laws. So yeah, I I think there is a a big reform that needs to happen. I don't know how it happens, but again, I, I do think that at times we need people to call us out, you know, and I think about Proverbs, was it 27, six wounds from a friend can be trusted. And that's why I think cancel culture galls me so much is because I need to say out loud, what I think. And if it's wrong, I need other people to hear that so they can correct me. If I just keep all my bad ideas to myself, I'm not going to grow. I I need to get those bad ideas out so they can be met with resistance, replaced with better ideas so that I can change. Uh, Romans 12 says we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. How do we renew our minds? By having our minds changed. 
what's going to change our minds? Persuasion, you know, not force. Like you can't force someone into the right thoughts. Agreed. And that's another big difference between a legitimate church discipline process or a legitimate, you know, in-person peacemaking process, according to Matthew 18. It's being done optimally by people who know you. It's being done face to face, not over social media, not over video, uh, where you you remove a lot of body language, you remove the personal knowledge of the person. This is something far different from everybody trying to cancel each other or hold each other accountable over wide distances, which is which is just absurd. Uh, that is not accountability. That is an imposter accountability. I also noted, Zach, when you were saying that, is that it, it is a big difference between trying to discipline someone over something that they have said, sometimes once, sometimes once. Like someone gets on a plane, they make a stupid joke over Twitter, they come back and they find that the world is in uproar over the social medias and they've been fired for their job, you know, actual circumstance versus a, a better instance of a church discipline process, which is, as you said, is, is closer to due process. And is usually not about just stuff you've said, but stuff that you've done. Uh, you've embezzled. You ran off with the church secretary. You know, just some cliched things like that. But you know, even increasingly now, like, what if you have demonstrated a repeated pattern of believing in not just uh, you know harmless or mm, kind of weird conspiracy theories, but actual wicked conspiracy theories? You know white supremacy or some things like that are still very real threats. And there are people who are professing Christians who are getting deeper and deeper into that vortex. I think local church leaders should step in leaders, plural, by the way, not just, you know, one pastor or one elder, uh, but you know, two or three witnesses, they should step in and say, wait a minute, you know, you've not just, you know, posted a meme once or you didn't know it was anti-Semitic, but you're making a habit of this. We can tell it's affecting your heart. It's affecting your spirit towards people who are different from you. Uh, it's affecting your ability to follow the command of Christ, to love your enemies, even your political enemies in Washington, D.C. You must stop. You must stop. This is a sin issue. That has to be handled at the local level, not by a mob over the social media. And a mob over the social media in the, just the past few weeks, it kind of occasioned this episode, I, I would call an example of a bad cancellation, an immoral and legalistic, morally empty cancellation is the one of uh, Gina Carano from The Mandalorian. I was legitimately upset when this happened because she had weathered several cancellation attempts before. There was a hashtag calling fire Gina Carano. You know, uh, she's shared stuff that seemed disagreeable about masks or calling for you know, voter ID, you know, which is not a fringe position. This woman is clearly not a, a racist or, or wicked or actually trying to hurt anyone. I do view this as a moral, uh, an immoral cancellation. Uh, Zach, did you see her interview with um, uh, the conservative uh, provocateur, uh, Ben Shapiro? Uh, did you listen to that or see it? I, I watched about half of that. Yeah, it was yeah. good. I would encourage watching the, the whole thing. It, I mean, I actually didn't watch it. I listened to it. But even then, and I've, I've heard a few other interviews with her and I follow her. I've followed her on Twitter for like ever since she, she hit it big with Mandalorian. Uh, she just strikes me as a very wholesome person. I don't know her faith. Uh, I do not know, you know, her heart, obviously, but uh, she seems to come from a culturally conservative background. She speaks frequently about her family and the challenges of, you know, being a celebrity and particularly being a woman in, you know, these kind of physically aggressive contexts. She's a former mixed martial arts fighter. Uh, she kind of uh, broke a lot of ground there. 
And then even when she speaks about why she enjoys professional fighting so much or, or stunt work, it's strange and challenging even to Christians who believe in some traditional gender roles. She speaks of it in terms of honesty in relationships. She almost spoke of it in, I would say, stereotypical feminine terms. To her, there's something refreshingly honest about just looking someone in the eye and connecting with them personally uh, before, you know, trying to beat them in a fight. You know, for her, it's a, lo- a little bit more like anime. You know, we're, we're training, we're sparring, uh, we're trying to get stronger. You know, we're trying to do it for our nakama. You know, like that, that was the reference point. I could say, okay, I understand this. I understand the idea of fighting someone, not because you hate them, but because you're trying to get stronger. That's the ideal of, of sparring. That's a good view of sports. And I, I can at least start to understand that, even though I'm still like, well, not a woman should be in the kitchen, but I'm not sure a woman should be out there, you know, sticking an elbow in someone else's eye socket. Uh, <laughs> I'm still working through that, but she seems to be a very wholesome person. And I like that. I like that by her speaking, uh, she is challenging me because she is at once very feminine. She's surprisingly uh, soft spoken. And yet she also likes to act out and, uh, and pursue this, this kind of fierceness. And when she got into making jokes about, uh, she, she put on her Twitter profile, uh, you know, in the standard, here are my pronouns format. She put in beep, bop, boop, uh, like, uh, like she's speaking R2D2 speak or something. And everyone got very, very mad at her. But for her, it was just a, a statement of like, what? Like, you, this is my Twitter profile. You, you can't tell me what to do. Like, I don't know what this is about. So I'm going to have a little fun with it. She posted some other memes. And then recently she posted a meme that people said was anti-Semitic. That was a blatant lie. Uh, but that was the pretext that was used for Lucasfilm to say, okay, that's it. You're out. You're canceled. Uh, we want nothing to do with you. And her talent agency dropped her and everybody dropped her, you know, doing the fake accountability thing. And then she jumps ship and goes to the Daily Wire. As she explains it, you hear her strength in the interview, and you also hear her brokenness. Yeah. Uh, this hurts. And it hurt her on a relational level because I, I watched her tweets you know, back and forth with other actors and directors from The Mandalorian. She clearly had some relationships with them. It, it didn't seem to be just the, you know, we're all one big happy family, you know, PR stuff that they do for a production like this. It, it seemed pretty genuine to me. And to cut off those relationships, you know, from some decision at the corporate level, and it doesn't seem like anybody at the Mandalorian made this call. It seemed to be more, you know, a decision made at the higher levels. Like that, that clearly hurts. And, and she added a personal dimension to this because in particular, when everybody was getting angry at her, she said, like, guys, like I, I wanted to confront my accusers. Like they said, okay, we're going to put you on a Zoom call with a couple of these people from, you know, such and such activist group. And she would say, well, no, I'd actually like to take them to dinner. I would like to look them in the eye. There it is again, the eye contact, the emphasis on personal interaction. I want to look them in the eye. I want to engage with them as a human. I don't want to do this hang back and accuse thing. If I'm going to fight someone, you know, I want it to be human. I want it to be honest and open. That was her culture. That's where she's coming from. And, and then it seems instead she's just encountering all of this abstract, hang back passive aggressive attempt at canceling her and then over the social media you see a lot of her haters they're frankly transparently anti-woman like i think that they feel they have permission to unload all of these uh you know stereotypical slanders that they have against women oh she's mean she's ugly she can't even act i kept seeing that she can't even act she got what she deserved 
I don't see that kind of mockery, like that level of mockery for any canceled male stars. Like I, 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 don't, I haven't kept up with a lot of the, you know, the attacks on say Chris Pratt, who also seems a little more culturally conservative, but it seems that all the truly nasty stuff is, is reserved for a, a woman, like kind of this mean girl stuff. You can't sit with us. That is a far cry from a healthier call for accountability, whether it's a church discipline or even just a family interaction or some other institution who reluctantly has to let someone go because they're being, being bad, saying bad things, acting in bad ways, violating the law, abusing people. Uh, those things are very different. And so that makes it very hard for we, I think, as Christians not to respond in kind. If the whole cancel culture mob is all going out there with the equivalent of AK-47s, how in the world can we be a peaceful warrior to defend? Because we do have to defend. I think what went on with Gina Carano is people didn't like her from the beginning once they realized she didn't fit their expectations of what a you know female action hero is going to look like you know her politics are different whatever you want to say but th- this whole episode that happened it was not about reconciliation it was not about education because again she she didn't say anything wrong by her tweet she was not saying anything offensive about an ethnic group she was saying something very cutting in but true about a political movement that's happening nowadays. And, you know, basically she called the wrong people Nazis. (laughs) She called the authoritarians out for who they are in our culture. And then they responded by doing exactly what she predicted, which was abusing their power. And that that was actually something interesting from the interview. She's like, I I don't have a problem with power and strength. I have a problem with abuse of power. Right. And, and I, I think that's what this comes back to is that, so much, I, I think we have to realize that people that ascribe to this mob mentality, this cancel culture movement, they don't have the context of a local church. So they're, they're trying to enact justice outside of their context. Because frankly, the, the people that are trying to punish her weren't the people that were offended or involved, you know, and, and that's what's so backwards about all this is that you end up having to apologize to people that have nothing to do with anything. They're, they're just these kind of self-appointed authorities. But I think what a lot of it goes down to is there's no belief in divine retribution. Paul says that it was, it makes space for the judgment of God, for the wrath of God. Like uh, that's a very humbling thing. When you start to think about it, there are some people that I would like to see meet a very harsh justice, I'll just say, but I'm not going to be the one to dole that out because it's not my place, but God will have his judgment on these people I'm thinking of, but it's a humbling thing to think, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I, I could be the person in the crosshairs of God's wrath, but he has saved me. He's brought me out of a lot of bad decisions and lifestyles and and in Christ I'm forgiven and I'm not going to suffer his wrath. So I can be patient as God works out things in this person's life and maybe they will repent. And I, I should hope that even the most vile person would repent because who am I to elevate myself above anyone else? Like I'm, I'm no one special. I'm no one more righteous than anyone, but man, I really wish I had a care doing action figure, Steven, because those are going for five figures right now. <laughs> I almost got one for Christmas. I almost thought, okay, I need to put that on my <laughs> list, but Here's, here's what I was holding out for. Like I did end up getting a Mandalorian uh, action figure. Santa was very generous. 
Uh, he's the he's a really nice 12 inch one from the Disney store. I'm not, not going to burn my Mandalorian action figure because, you know, the Mandalorian fired uh, Cara Dune. They fired Gina Carano. Like he's he's right there on my desk. He's cool. He has the original voice. He says, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold. <laughs> and you push the button and his little flamethrower lights up. And I was hoping to get, you know, a, a Cara Dune that was similar quality. You know, they, they had a few six inch ones, but they were hard to get hold of. I went to the Disney store here in town and looked for one, Could, couldn't find one. But now it's like, you know, they're $5,000 and, and they're like, what are they going to do now? Are they going to, you know, remove her from the Mandalorian TV show, like Jean's guy uh, from the, from the season two, where they actually had like a, a, a staffer behind the scenes and it was poking out from behind a wall and they had to erase him. You can do that in real time with a, with a streaming drama. Whereas if someone's, you know, left a coffee cup and a period drama and a motion picture released to theaters, what are you going to do? Like replace all the reels? Hey, I guess you could do like the cats motion picture thing where you, you know, release a new version with upgraded effects because it's all digital. But yeah, it's, it's a little bit scary now to think of what, what could be done. And now, you know, we haven't even gotten to talk about uh, Amazon canceling certain books uh, based on them falsely judging the content as hateful uh that's uh that's a whole other angle to this we've been mainly talking about uh the tv movie fandom angle of it and, and i guess the, we've already crossed over really into our second question here is if the cancellation was immoral then how do we as christians react well in a godly way to the cancel mobs to the folks who are i would say behaving like enemies and uh You've probably heard by now a lot of passion uh, in this episode as we're describing this. And I, I think we have biblical support for that. You know, the psalmists are not constantly checking themselves when they're pouring out their hearts about how infuriating these enemies are. You know, they would cast this, uh, this struggle between them and their enemies, uh, the psalmist, that is, they would cast the struggle as a battle between good and evil. They weren't constantly trying to be spiritual about it. They were saying, you know, I'm, I'm in anguish. You know, this person is winning, even though they are so evil. Uh, seeing hypocrites and abusers get away with this should make us mad. I think God himself, by inspiring the Psalms all along, endorses some measure of venting. And Christians are right to do that, I think, to a point. To a point, though, we cannot stop there. We absolutely cannot stop there. Uh, you can vent about abuse and the wicked prospering and the good dying young, but it cannot stop there. Uh, otherwise, the whole Bible would be nothing but Psalms, you know, lamenting the human condition and the unfairness of it all uh, without any gospel solution there or any calls uh, to love your enemies. Even if you feel like you want to pray an imprecatory, you know, God punish them, you know, let them drop into a hole forever you know, type stuff. This is tyranny. And I think it's, it's right to call it a, a kind of, of, of tyranny. And often, sometimes I see the response is, well, you can't cancel that person. You know what? Well, you know, you, you've started the fire and it's just going to come back on you. Well, that's a call to empathy that I think won't work on people who cannot empathize. They've already proven that there's a little bit of um, sociopathic behavior going on here. I think the only way to respond to that is directly and boldly. This is wrong and I am not going to let you do it so far as it depends on me. What you're doing is tyranny, and it must stop. C.S. Lewis, because it's a day ending in the words day, we have to quote <laughs> C.S. Lewis. Uh, he has a quote that almost relates to this, and I'll explain why it almost relates. Uh, Lewis described uh, this kind of moral tyranny. He says, quote, 
Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. They may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. This very kindness stings with intolerable insult. To be cured against one's will and cured of states which we may not regard as disease is to be put on a level of those who have not yet reached the age of reason or those who never will. To be classed with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals. End quote. We will put that whole quote in the show notes. The reason why I said this quote almost relates is because I actually think Lewis is describing here a class of omnipotent moral busybodies who are at least better than the cancel mobs. Uh, these folks seem to have the approval of their own conscience and are more like, you know, bureaucrats. We must do this for the good of the people. We must pass this legislation in order to preserve people from discrimination. Like, I think they may pass a lie detector test. They actually mean it. Whereas the cancel mobs, I think, are reacting at a much, um, much lower level of reasoning. There's more of an impulse here than actual forethought, even if it's bad thought, if it's bad rationality. Uh, here it's just people joining in a mob because the mom is screaming and yelling and it looks like fun and it looks powerful and it looks like you get to be part of a community and feel good about yourself. The cancel mob is actually worse. However, I think the omnipotent moral busybodies, as Lewis calls them, uh, tend to enable or use the cancel mobs. And this calls for discernment. Okay, if someone is trying to cancel someone for bad reasons, are they actually serious about it? And are they the head of a corporation who, who is serious about this and, and seriously thinks, oh no, this person is terrible. They need to be fired from my company. Or is this a member of a mob who's not even thinking up to that level? We have to discern, okay, who's who here? You know, is someone serious or is someone just unthinking? And that calls for different responses. Christians, either way, should have no desire to punish the wicked. That's not our job. It's God's job to be the avenger. Our job is to show his love whenever we can, if possible, to our enemies, uh, to folks who are against good morality, who are against good laws and social expectations that one way or another come from God. We're not like the cancel mobs where we want to do a fake wrath or a fake accountability, irrespective of whether that person is sorry or whether or not they have a pattern of saying something bad. Christians want to see the evil turn from their ways. That's what Jesus wants to see. And we are called to be like Jesus. So if there's any way possible to show this to a member of the mob that we encounter, you know, whether it's um, you know, more likely in the, in the social medias or even maybe someone at work or at church or whatever who's trying to cancel us irrationally without righteousness, if there's any way possible to show that person that disagreement does not equal hatred, and that for some people, healthy people, debate can even be a love language. Is it possible this person could see that maybe for the first time? I don't know. Maybe you have to get to them when they're still a child. You know, maybe there's an, there's an age after which you're no longer able to feel that. I, I would hope not. I'd like to think that a 70-year-old member of the cancel culture mob you know, in the year 2050 uh, might still be able to learn but maybe we just need to pray that the Holy Spirit would supernaturally crack open that person's stone-cold heart and swap it out for a heart of flesh. 
it's still though like Zach, I, I'm still I feel like I'm thinking about like a a tropical storm or something. You know, this is still kind of abstract to me. I see it on the social medias. Uh, it's more of a force out there. Uh, you joked earlier about you don't cancel me, but you know we're still a pretty small podcast. But who knows what could happen? You know, hopefully we start off with topics like this to guarantee to our audience like this is where we are, this is who we are, this is what we believe. Uh, you can't cancel us. We're not going to double back on you and violate your social expectations. We have to resist this stuff with words. But uh, you know, briefly, I'll touch on the fact that I'm I'm kind of already starting to think. Okay, what are some legal solutions to this? Because it's 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 got to end. Uh, and you know, to the extent that you, Christian listener, have been called to engage with this stuff, you know, maybe that's something you could look into. Uh, some pundits I track have actually suggested, okay, if we've got if we're if we're going to have laws against discrimination. Uh, if that's not going away, uh, then maybe we also need to add barriers against political and religious discrimination. You can't fire someone because they posted that meme. Uh, maybe that needs to be a law. I don't know. There's probably all kinds of discriminations for that that you know those folks can get into. I still don't think this is the best option. I would rather the First Amendment and the spirit of the First Amendment be as wide open as possible, with exceptions made for you know actual nasty behavior that actually does harm people. I would rather people straighten this out at that level without the law, but right now maybe maybe we need some laws. I don't know. So that's one thing that Christians might consider as a reaction to this this out of control fake wrath, fake accountability enabled by technology. I think what draws a lot of people into this is the lack of power or control they have in their own lives. And so they're looking for a shortcut to have that power or to have that influence or have that authority. I have certainly seen this up close and personal in some other countries I've traveled to, I'll just say, where there's sort of this bureaucracy run wild and people in these very petty positions of power will absolutely wield that power mercilessly because that's all they can control in their lives. And so they're going to make your life a living nightmare with this tiny little thing that they have some influence over. And I, I think that's just human nature is that people that feel powerless in every other regard in their life will seek a way to find power if that's, you know, ultimately what they care about. You know, I certainly think a lot of people feel that way because of COVID-19 and because of lockdowns and losing jobs and losing relationships. Everyone is kind of in that realm to an extent. So, you know, you, you talk about how can we respond? How can we react? Well, I, I think it it sort of comes to thinking, okay, what draws people into this? And then secondly, I think uh, there's a really good article on the Gospel Coalition about a book that was recently uh, canceled. And no, that was uh, uh, When Harry Became Sally by Ryan right. T. Anderson, nonfiction. Yeah. And uh, so this is a, a quote by Alan Jacobs within the article. He says, quote, it is simultaneously an assertion of power and a confession of weakness. They're flexing their muscles, but muscles are all they have. Censors don't want anyone to read the book because they know they can't refute it. End quote. It's worthwhile to reflect on that. That when some when some authority figure tries to silence someone else, it's because they don't have anything good to say in response. Or they believe in this sort of, you know, far end of of the pendulum swing of like you know, the, the way, the way opposite of like words can never hurt me to words have magical power that can unravel someone's identity or erase them or whatever, 
you have to sort of look, okay, you know, they, they believe something sort of Gnostic almost or, or, or mystical about language and about, you know, literature. There's this other great quote I found by, uh, it's George R. R. Martin. Apparently it's from Clash of Kings. So I guess this is one of the characters that said this. Wait, we're going to positively quote uh, from a Game of Thrones book or rather yes. a Song of Ice and Fire book. Okay. Yeah. Right. See, we're, we're open-minded <laughs> here. We're not trying to cancel, you know, <laughs> Mr. Rape Fantasy on, on the Fantastical <laughs> Truth podcast. <laughs> Granted, I have not read this book, uh, but I'm not going to say anything more. Anyway, it's, uh, I think it's the, the character Tyrion says, quote, when you tear out a man's tongue, you are not proving him a liar. You're only telling the world that you fear what he might say, end quote. No, that's true. And that may also explain the eagerness to affix the suffix phobic to everything. There could be a little projection going on here. Yes, yeah, I, Christians have been fearful, but not that, no, I'm sorry, not that fearful. We, we just disagree with you sometimes. This reminds me of the episode we talked about that uh, 1980s book, Turmoil in the Toy Box, when there was sort of this satanic panic of like, oh my gosh, don't play with this thing or watch this thing or read this thing because no, this is 100% it's, a, yeah. it's a doorway for Satan to ruin your life. And I, I think a lot of that comes up with these these books that get in the crossfire, these people that get canceled. It's this sort of fear that people are living in of like, I can't allow this person to talk because it will, you know, unravel the universe that I live in. And I, I think we sort of have to recognize that with a bit of compassion of like, wow, this person really lives in fear. And maybe there is a reason for that. Maybe they have had a traumatic experience. Not that we allow them to use that victimhood to assert power over everyone else. Agreed. But I, I do think it is worth looking with a little bit of compassion on people that kind of buy into those fears 100 percent, and it may also help to recognize that a lot of people like you have to isolate them as individuals here you can't just look at the mob where all the faces blur into one and then it becomes just some hostile invading organism you have to look at this with respect to the individual personal reflections of god's image in each face in the mob and then only then i think can can we find that pity uh, instead of seeing you know the, the legions of orcs issuing from mordor we see Gollum, you know, an emaciated creature that, that we should be pitying. Yes, he may sneak up on you and try to stab you in the night or lure you into a spider cave. Uh, so he is definitely, uh, you know, respected as a foe, but he's also this, this pitiable creature you know, who has fed his own addiction, uh, who has been cut off from the rest of his kind. Uh, we do need to have compassion. You know, unfortunately, you know, even if we have to draw a sword on him sometimes. Well, that was our first part of this two-part series on how Christians can respond when people get canceled. So far, we've mostly looked at the times when the mob was wrong, but what about when the cancellation is deserved? We'll talk about that next time on part two of this series. Meanwhile, whether you've been the target of a mob or perhaps a member of it, let's remember that we belong to an ultimate Savior and no one can snatch us out of His hands. Let us thank Him for our salvation from the ultimate accuser. So whether the stories and creators we enjoy continue on or suffer an unfortunate fate, the story that God is telling in our lives will never be cut short as we continue to seek and find fantastical truth. <laughs>